you want to turn there. It's right after the book of Judges in your Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, the Old Testament's on the left-hand side. But if you just split it in the middle and go back a little bit, you'll see a four-letter name, Ruth. And um, Ruth is four chapters. It's only 85 verses. That's all. I don't know if you ever read it before. My mother's name was Ruth. And I remember one time uh, going into her bedroom, and she was a single mom raising us boys that were a heartache and a headache for her. Um, and I saw her reading the Bible. Later, I found out she read the Bible every night from 1932 to 1972, but she had never given her life to the Lord. She ran away at 17, did not want to be a Christian girl. She wanted to dance, play piano, and go out with the boys. And uh, when she saw me, her most troubled boy, uh, be totally transformed at the age of 60, she gave her heart to Jesus, which the odds are against you at 60, but she accepted the Lord and she became a, what her mother was that she never wanted to become. She became an intercessor prayer warrior. And uh, for years, up until she was uh, two weeks short of 92, um, she trained hundreds of women how to intercede and pray. And our church uh, just always grew because there are so many people praying. And I thank my mom for that. And I like this. And I saw her Bible, and we weren't believers. And I took her Bible and says, what's this? And she said, what are you looking at? And I said, I turned to this book called Ruth, but one page is ripped out, and the others are all scribbled with color crayons. She said, you did that when you were a little boy. I said, I did? She said, you saw that, and you said, your name doesn't belong in the Bible, and you just did it. So uh, now she's with the Lord, and I'm hoping she'll be kind when I come through the gates. <laughs> if I do, I'm, I'm hoping to. Um, surprise. What a name for a town when you think of it. it. It's just a surprise, actually, to all of us that we're all here. And what God had to do to orchestrate so you and I could all be together, we have no clue. But he does that in people's lives. And you'll see it in this little story of Ruth. So um, on the fourth week, in the last week, I have a prophecy conference in Porterville, California, that I just couldn't rearrange my schedule. I pretty much was able to rearrange everything else. But my good friend, uh, Don McClure, is going to be here to speak. And Don and I were first two interns that Pastor Chuck took under his wing. He regretted it for quite some time, but he, uh, he uh, was somebody special in our lives, and we were in his. And uh, so Don and I have been friends for 40-some years, actually. Um, and he's a great Bible teacher. Chuck asked 10 of us if we would help the Calvaries and, and help people that want to associate and just help the pastors to love them. And uh, he said, call yourself a counselor or something like they did in the book of Jerusalem, uh, in the book of Acts in Jerusalem. And Don is like the, uh, he's the boss man. He's, he takes all the hits and we all sit back and smile. Uh, you'll love him. His wife and my wife are, are very good friends and they're great teachers. Both of them are really godly ladies. And Kay Smith, Chuck's wife, when she knew it was time for her to retire, she had a board of pastor's wives uh, so that they would pray for and teach the younger wives and uh, 
and help them and do conferences all around the country where there's Calvaries. There's over 1,800 tonight. And when we were there, there was only one. So it's been a great experience to actually survive all this and to make it through. Um, but Sandy was given her position, and she's a very godly woman. So she and Jean are going to come and do some Saturday uh, outreaches to all, all you ladies. You'll, you'll love them. They're super. And um, if you don't ever want to talk to me again, once you meet Dennis Agajanian, I can understand. <laughs> Lord, we're grateful to be with you. There isn't anything any one of us could technically add to you. You don't really need us, but you love us. And that's an amazing thing that you love us. And I'd like to just thank you again for this surprise in my life. I've been praying for these people as you've asked me to, wondering what they looked like, wondering what the spirit was like with them, wondering what it is that you want to say and you want to do. And so to be in front of them, it's an honor that you allowed me to drive here and be here tonight. And I pray, Father, the greatest blessings possible for each person here. I truly do, Lord. You know them. You know them deeply, the young and the old. You know them. And um, you've assured me that my main reason to be here is just to remind them of how much you do love them. And that we don't want to take that for granted or put it in the category of religion that God has to love me. So I pray that every family that's represented in this room would begin to see wonderful, glorious, magnificent, miraculous episodes with you in their homes and their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, while we are together, will unite our hearts together. You've invested a lot of years and a lot of time and a lot in, into my heart. And I know when you have special assignments, you really love the people. And this is in the category of those special assignments. So I know you've already shared that with me your deep love and how that many, many need your presence. So Father, we surrender and we'll let you do what you do best. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. As I said, it's very short and I have a way to make it very long, so I'll be careful. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. I'd like you to underline the judges ruled. That's a key to this book. In fact, underline it in the person's Bible over on your left side. Just reach over and zip up their Bible a little bit and see if they're really a Christian. Um, judges ruled. Now, that's important. King wasn't ruling. But there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, so famine is a key, a certain man, uh, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons was Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. 
Uh, names are very important. If you were to uh, come across this your first time, you probably wouldn't realize that the last verse in the book of Judges, I believe is verse 25, chapter 21. And it basically says, in the day that there, were no, there was no king, the judges did rule. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Classic picture of the United States of America in 2019. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. I took um, a journey in 2015, took two actually, into the heart of the ISIS situation in northern Iraq. And uh, my mission was especially to help with the rescue of the Yazidi women uh, that were kidnapped and sold as sex slaves by ISIS. And discovered so much. There were military people that were contracted to protect us from Delta Force Navy SEALs. Uh, we met with the leaders of the government agencies in northern Iraq. We were briefed on everything. Um, it, was, it was sad to be an American sitting there and seeing how our government at the time had lied to us that we had no clue of what the big picture was over there. Uh, it was embarrassing to sit in front of these humble, broken Kurdish leaders and then to hear why didn't America come to help us? And uh, that was a heartbreaker. But then to find out the news articles that we heard and saw on television wasn't just about pretty teenage girls being sold as sex slaves. The sick part of it was it was any boy or girl that was five years old and older. And I won't bore you with the details, but I know that God's going to judge our country for what we allowed to happen. In some cases, it's winding down under this uh, present administration that we have. But I was in her country. I was here in her neighborhood in northern Iraq, close to Babylon. And everything just opened up in a brand, brand new way. And to meet with these people that have been brutalized by unhuman beings and endorsed as the JV team that were so vile and wicked and to sit with the teenage girls that I wouldn't even, I've never even told my wife what I know, uh, to sit with the mothers and the grandmothers to hear the stories of the Christian men. It was genocide against Christians. We've never been told that. It's genocide against our brothers and sisters. And ISIS, in our one briefing with the Secretary General, they had a plan. And we were step three in the plan. Step two was uh, Iraq and Syria, and then the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, and then Europe, and then the USA. But they feared USA. Didn't fear our drones, didn't fear our, fear our, our SEAL teams, they didn't fear our money, our bombers, our fighters, our hand-to-hand -hand skills. They were fearful of the Christian community in America. But when the Christian community did not stand up in behalf of the hundreds of thousands of Christians that were killed, ISIS realized how weak America was. 
And you'll remember, under the last administration, we had jihadist attacks all over the country that now. And they could have been stopped. So when every man does what's right in his own eyes, it's called humanism, but it's really relativism too. I'll march in your parade if you'll march in my parade. I'll let you be as perverted as you want to be as long as you don't bug me with my lifestyle. That's relativism. That's, there's no leadership. And when there was no king, the judges ruled. And we have three branches in the U.S. We have the executive, which is the White House and the king there. The judicial, which is the Supreme Court and the courts in America. We're a country of laws. And, and then you have the legislative. And they are a bunch of people that apparently don't know what they're doing. Um, no matter who we send there, something happens to them. It's in their soup or their coffee or something. I don't know. Uh, but they just change all of a sudden. Uh, recently, and this is a very serious situation, and I can't imagine that God has even waited one hour past this law in New York City, that babies can be aborted right up to the birth and any time afterwards, if the mother and the doctor change their minds. And then for the governor of the state of New York to rejoice and call for parties that this law was passed. How sick do you have to be to rejoice over something so obviously evil and wicked? We live in a time just like Ruth. Ruth is a microcosm of the book of Judges, what it was like to live during the times of the Judges. And if you ever saw the first Star Wars movie, there was a scene when R2-D2 wasn't working and Luke Skywalker was hitting him and a hologram came out with Princess Leah and she's calling Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm not a movie officiando, I'm just giving you a little analogy. It, and that's what Ruth is. She's like a hologram coming out of the book of Judges. You want to just get a glimpse of a family of four living during a rough time? This is what happens during rough times. And so it comes from Bethlehem, the house of bread. Jesus said he is the bread of life. That's kind of cool that he was born in Bethlehem from the house of bread. But God's going to use a famine, no bread, in the house of bread to change the world. And you may think that your life is insignificant, but every one of us are necessary for God to fulfill his plan in his word. So I'd like to give you the names here because they're very important names. The dad's name. His name, you can see by the first two words, E-L, is something to do with God. My God is king. You may want to write that down. My God is king. Uh, because he's an important guy. And what a wonderful thing for a parent to look at their kid and say, let's name him Illinois. Now, this is the first man, if you're a music person, that ever had a hit song from the Bible. Did you know that? I can see you do. Right? Illinois. Just think of it for a minute. What song would that be? You all know it. Well, let me tell you a little story. Scarlett was six years old, one of our 20 grandkids, and her mom and dad, Nashville, Tennessee, her mom, a tremendous singer, very gifted. Our son, a very gifted uh, music producer and guitarist and musician, just born with all those crazy talents. She said, could we go see the zoo, and I specifically want to see the lions. I said, I love the lions. Let's go to the zoo. So 
Sandy and I took the three of them to go to the zoo. There was nobody in the area of the lions. And I was so sad because you couldn't see any lions. I expected five or 10 big ferocious MGM lions, you know, sitting in nothing. Scarlet was a little saddened. Papa, there's no lions. I said, I know, this is strange. And nobody's around us at all. It's a slow day at the zoo, obviously, even for lions. And we were, there was a gulf between us and there was iron bar and concrete so people couldn't really jump over. They'd get stuck in that pit and to keep the lions from coming over. And I was leaning over on the railing and I was looking back and forth. And I said, look up there in the corner, Scarlet. Look, 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 right in the corner. There was this aged female lion that was staring at little Scarlet from way up. I mean, quite a distance. And she's getting up and this poor girl had arthritis that just must have been horrendous. She got up and she started to stretch. When she walked, her tail was like this. It was sort of bent and going back and forth. And she was really making it difficult to get down. Well, now, as a lion appears, about another 20 people came to see the lion. And I'm here and Scarlet's four people down from me. I said, now look, at she's coming down here. And this lion, for whatever reason, stops at the very edge of the gulf and looks at nobody in the crowd but this six-year-old girl. She's eyeballing her straight across like this. And I'm watching this. I'm thinking, God, you're giving her a, a treat. She's going to remember that her grandpa is really a cool guy that brings her to <laughs> see the lions. And all of a sudden, this was a ferocious lion, I'm sure, at one time, but it didn't look like it could wrestle a cat. She had chunks of hair missing on her side, you know, and the tails there going like this the whole time. And she's just barely standing up and she goes, Ooh! and you could watch her ribs vibrate. I said, wow. She didn't do it once. She did it again. Ooh! And then a third time. I've never heard a lion roar three times, but this one did. And you could have played her ribs like a xylophone. <laughs> Go down in there. So she was so skinny. She actually roared to Scarlet eight times in a row. Unheard of. Unheard of. And then everybody's quiet. I mean, there wasn't an adult or a kid talking because they knew that lion was talking to that little girl. Now, Sarah, her mommy, was Little Miss Texas when she was five years old. Just a fantastic gift of music. And Scarlet, since she's been able to talk, has been singing and Six years old, she's on pitch, she's in key. Tone is great, she's got a lot of volume. And I'm just leaning over saying, thank you, Lord. And out the silence comes. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. Alimelech, Alimelech, whoa, whoa. That's the song right there. You'll never forget Alimelech, because his God is king. And you want God to be your king, too. So his parents influenced this man. And he married a woman, we're told, uh, called Naomi. Now, Naomi, in their language, the, the Hebrew language, means pleasantness. I want to note that because it's a key to the book, too. And then um, they had these sons. And because of the famine, they go to Moab. Now, Moab was the fruit of an incestuous situation with Lot and his daughters. They got him drunk after God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
the angel said, go up the hill, get into the mountains, don't look back. And Mrs. Lot turned around and she became a pillar of salt. But the girl said, and this happens when we have problems. We get myopic, we get very narrow-minded, we make bad decisions. And um, we, we, we only think it's all about us. We don't know there's another seven billion people on the earth besides us. Our problem becomes bigger than anything. And uh, those girls lost sight. Hey, there's nobody left on the earth. Well, she saw some sort of nuclear explosion or whatever it was. It, actually, nothing has ever grown there ever since that happened. Uh, they said, there'll be no more people left. Let's get our dad drunk. And one of the girls was the mother of Moab. So the Moabites were not pure. And they shouldn't have been marrying Moabite women, the boys. And they should have probably stayed in Bethlehem and just waited on the Lord and not jumped so quickly. So pleasantness marries my God is king. Then they have the two boys, Malon and Chilion. Those do not sound like Bible names, do they? Sounds like South Los Angeles lowriders to me. Malon and Chilion, where did they ever get that? But their names are very interesting. Uh, Malon is uh, sickly. Who would name their son? Oh, look at this little baby, sickly. And his brother's name is literally from the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And the reason it's so exhaustive is it's so thick and heavy when you carry it to open it up. Chilion means pining, literally wasting away. Wow. Now, Philip, who replaced me as pastor three and a half years ago, our youngest son, had, his wife was carrying twins, and she had to lie in the hospital for over a month because that was touch and go for the, the twin boys. They were born. And... Um, one of them lasted a day or two. They were very, very small. His organs internally didn't develop, very fragile. And it was a rough time for our family. But now that helped me see, well, maybe these boys were born like Ryder was, and uh, Jacks, his brother, and they were weak. But nevertheless, I want you to know my goddess king marries pleasantness, and they have sickly and wasting away. So there's a family of four. We can all identify with it one way, even if you have a family of one or 44. Family of four, all right. There's no money, there's no food, so they go to Moab. They should have stayed in the house of bread, but there was no bread in the house. And so a famine came. So God uses things to move us. Now, it probably wasn't the best choice they made, but it was a choice. And often when we're faced with issues, we feel like we've got to make some sort of choice. So that's what can happen. So here's the family. You got them. You're ready for them. They're from Judah. And uh, they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Then Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Wow. That's painful. She's now a widow, and she's got two young men, probably teenagers, a little older, and she's got no job, no source of income. I was raised by a single mom. I know what that's like, but she always worked and she worked hard, but we didn't have any money. 
and uh, we were kicked out of more apartments than I think we even rented. Uh, electricity would be shut off, and I didn't know. I was just into high school, and I was more interested in football, wrestling, and track. And uh, I didn't think about that money. Why are we moving so often? She couldn't pay the rent. But something strange happened. Uh, I was on the wrestling team, and I had this muscle-bound guy that was bigger than me and stronger than me. And I just thought, you know what? Um, this guy's going to kill me. I'm going to really get hurt here. And just as he was getting ready to pin me, I was on my side, and I saw my mother sitting in the stands. I'm not going to let this fool pin me in front of my very own mother. And I was a very mean, angry young man. Uh, you would not have wanted to know me. Um, and I rolled over. I got that guy, and I pinned him in, instead. And then I was playing football one year, and I remember I got the ball to go into the end zone for the final point, and my mom was in the stands in the middle of the afternoon, you know, 4 o'clock. It only had hit me 10 years ago that that's why she worked Saturdays. Her boss let her come to every event that we were doing, my brother and I. We were both pretty good. My brother was much better. But recently, in our old age, he says, you know, you were better than me, but you just didn't know it. What? I idolized you my whole life. You got all the trophies, and I was there to help you. No, you were better. You just didn't know it. And I says, well, thank you for telling me now when it doesn't matter. <laughs> so here she is in this great pain. And I'm, at 15, I'm coming home from football practice, and a lady pulls up in her pickup truck, and I knew who it was. It was one of my oldest brother's best friends that they went into Air Force Intelligence together. And um, we lived in a neighborhood that, and being from the streets, you know who belongs in your neighborhood and who doesn't. And uh, if they have a nice vehicle, they don't usually belong in that neighborhood. And I knew something was up the minute she pulled up the curb. He said, get in, I'll give you a ride home. I said, what are you doing here? He says, is your mother home? I said, she might be by now. Why? Just get in, and I'll tell you once I tell your mother. I could tell by her face, face that uh, there was something wrong. And um, I was pretty good at, at that because I had to defend myself a lot. And I wanted to only be around the happy faces and not the weirdo faces. And I looked at her, and I grabbed the keys, and I said, Penny, what is the matter? And she looked me in the eye and said, Mike, your oldest brother David was killed two hours ago in a traffic accident in Sacramento, California. My reaction, that's a lie. Don't ever say anything like that to anybody. That is so cruel and mean. When we went home, she said, give your mom a cup of coffee and sit down with her, and that's when I'll tell her. And we lived in a two-bedroom that was about 300 square feet. It wasn't... It was, to go from the kitchen to where my mom was in the living room was to be going from here to the music stand. Very small place. But I can remember looking down at 15 at the coffee cups rattling because I was so frightened, so angry. And all of a sudden, my mother let out a scream that only a woman can scream. She was off the charts in a high falsetto. She was out there somewhere, and I just died on the spot. When I sat down next to her, this was her oldest son. This is one she had when she went away from home to meet the boys, uh, walked away from Jesus, and he was her life. 
He's 26. And our other, the other brothers, we were all teenagers at the time. So um, only as a minister have I ever heard that scream, ever. Oh, I've been, I was a reserve police officer for eight or nine years in San Diego. I'm still involved as a police chaplain, helped set that up for the chief, and then he became sheriff, went to the sheriff, helped him do it there also. Dads can cry, but not like moms cry. They can punch the wall, they can kick the door, they can swear, they can get a cigarette and go out and smoke and pace back and forth. Our emotions are different, but... But God prepared me for the number of times that I have to tell somebody that their loved one isn't coming home. When they lose the dad, they lose the income. So sickly and piney are there with pleasantness, and what are they going to do? You've all had situations where pain has come into your heart. Some of you, maybe still, self-medicate yourselves, and you forgot why you... Of course, everybody vote in marijuana in California uh, because everybody's so messed up. And we think that we always have to be perfect. And pain and suffering and grief are real. More real than the comfort and the coolness and but what really goes on inside. Jeremiah said, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Meaning a psychiatrist can't fix you. He can help you. She can help you. Psychologist can help you. But the heart, the intent, constantly is wicked, God says. When the Tower of Babel was being built, the Lord said, there isn't anything that people can't think of in their hearts that they can't do. Otherwise, we have a great gift of creativity. And the devil's job is to dumb you down so you never reach your potential. And one of the quickest ways is alcoholism and drug usage and addiction. Very sad. Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. The only place you probably are thinking of right now, I didn't know Peter said that. He did. You think of Ephesians says, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one and gird your loins with truth and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel and take the sword of the spirit in prayer. That's all of our weaponry. We have nothing to protect our back because we're never to run from the enemy. Isaiah said, God shall be your rear reward. In life, I am to be the best I can become in whatever he asks me to do and I must go forward, not thinking, how can I get out of this? Because if I'm truly born again, I am going to experience Jesus with a nail in the right hand, the nail in the left hand, the nail in the feet, my back so badly ripped open like hamburger, his face so bloody, chunks of flesh were removed when they pulled his beard out, they covered his face and they beat him with a rod and said, prophesy now and tell us who it is that hit you. They plated, meaning they jammed down these two-inch thorns of a crown they made, and that's where all your capillaries are the most vulnerable, and you can really bleed from your head down. He took all of that. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in by faith, it's the Son of God who loves me, and he gave himself for me. How can I be a true Christian if I don't experience the only real Christian, the first one? I can't. I can be a religious believer. I can be a really shallow churchgoer. But do I really know God and do I really know Jesus? And when these issues come into our lives, are we going to be bad-mouthers, murmurers, complainers, backstabbers, blame someone else, get it away from me? Or are we going to say, I humble myself before you, God. What can I learn? This is very painful. I do not like it, but I want to know what I can learn. Why? Because when Moses came down off of the mountain, he had two tablets. One was Tylenol and the other was Advil. Uh, no, that's not right. He had two tablets, the Ten Commandments. On one of the uh, tablets were six commandments. On the other were only four. The six were your relationship with people. The four were your relationship with God. It's harder to get along with people than it is with God. Ever think of that? That's why he gave more command. And they weren't, wow, wow, wow. They were, thou shall not. You shouldn't do this. Why? Because it's going to hurt you. Not because he's trying to deprive you. It's because he knows it's going to hurt you and it's not good for you. And if you'll live according to these 10 simple principles, which became 660 laws by man, you can have a very peaceful life. Doesn't mean you're not going to feel pain. Doesn't mean that things aren't going to go right. But at least you'll have a good life and a peaceful life because those laws are there to bless you until you can make it home to heaven. So they go along and um, they marry. The two boys marry, uh, which is very interesting to me. It says, uh, now they took wives of the women of Moab, and that's a no-no. The law said, Moses said, marry in the Jewish family, not outside. So they found these two girls. You'll see it right there before you there in verse 4. Uh, they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Oprah, and she had a daily TV show. And the, Oh, no, that's not right. Orpah, I'm sorry. Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years, a decade. What's happened in the last 10 years in your life? Orpa. Isn't that interesting? Her name literally means gazelle. So we have to be kind to her. She's probably athletic, ran like a gazelle, thin, petite. And then her buddy, Ruth, is friendly or friendliness. So things must have been really slow on Friday and Saturday nights for the girls in Moab that Miss Gazelle and Miss Friendliness marries sickly and wasting away. <laughs> Two Barney Fife's marrying these beauties from this far place. It doesn't make sense. So then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived the two sons and the woman, uh, survived the two sons and her husband. Wow. Now it's a family of one. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. And she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. 
Isn't it interesting how the word of the Lord can come from one country to another, one city to another, one neighbor to another? How powerful it is, however the Lord uses it. Therefore, she went out from the place when she was, where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Sometimes going back home is a real blessing. And uh, I imagine she thought about Bethlehem quite a lot. Now, for some reason, her husband was either a very wealthy landowner, politician, or something, because you'll see in a moment, everybody knew him and knew her. So she's on her way back because there's some bread. So therefore, uh, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each one, to her mother's house. Now listen to her words. They're very kind to the girls. The Lord deal kindly with you. She's blessing them. As you have dealt with the dead, your husbands, your father-in-law, and with me. Now, listen and underline. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of his husband. That's her blessing. So she kissed them. They lifted up their voices, they wept, and they said to her, surely we'll return with you, and we'll go to your people. But Naomi said, no, no, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? No, no, otherwise... Will you wait 18 years? And if I could even meet a man and get married today and I could have twins, you're going to have to wait for at least 18 years. Would you, are you willing to do that? I don't require that of you. You don't have to do that. Turn back. Go to your own house. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope if I should have a husband tonight, bear sons, would you want to wait that long till they're grown up? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. Now, this is an important statement. We've all made it in one way or the other. But it's bogus. For it grieves me very much. It grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That night my brother died. My mom wept for hours. And my other brother came home and uh, he found out what happened. And she said, you need to call your friends and go, go out with your friends tonight. And I remember walking downstairs from our second floor apartment and standing on the sidewalk, looking up at the sky and taking my fist and shouting, I hate your guts. If you're up there, I hate your guts and I'll fight you my entire life. Because we had to be put into a mean foster care situation for a few years. We had bad people in our lives. Father was an alcoholic, abusive, and I learned at a very young age how to defend myself and how never to be put in a corner. I, even today when I go into a room, I know where all the exits are. I know where all of you are sitting so I can give a good report to the police when they come. And uh, I, I just know my surroundings. And she says... God's hand has come against me to bring me grief. It grieves me. 
I hate your guts. Well, if she only knew chapter four, she wouldn't have done that. And I hope you're not doing that. The Lord isn't in the business of messing up with our lives and making us bitter people. You know, you should be a better person. Do you know the difference between bitter and better? The difference between bitter and better is nothing more than the letter I. It's the I that is going to make you a better or a bitter person. So she is not getting a good image of God. And I don't know what your image is of God. Or if even now you're out of high school, you're out of college, you're, you're out of money, you're out of sight, you're something, and you still are bitter or angry. You now think of your childhood and you go back and say, oh. You think of your teen years, supposed to be the best we had. You think of your young 20s and 30s and you go on and on. And it's like, what was this whole thing about? And it's easy to blame God. It's easier to blame God than to have faith that God loves you and would do nothing intentionally to hurt you. But he's preparing you for chapter four of your life. It's not all there. But if the devil can come along and say to a 14-year-old, start smoking this, and all of a sudden... Some bad dude slipped some fentanyl in there. Two men were caught in New Jersey about six months ago. They had 50, between 50 to 100 pounds of fentanyl, enough to kill the entire state of New Jersey. I had a bag over my head, hands tied by my back, my shirt, my shoes, my wallet, everything was taken, and a man with a gun stuck it to my head. I was 25 years old. I had no idea how I was going to make it out of this one. That gun went off that night as I was given a pill at 4 o'clock, and at 8 o'clock I was overdosing, and I said to this group of people I'd never met, just like you, but I know you're better than this group. <laughs> uh, and uh, I had a friend drop me off, friend just got back from Vietnam. He just was so messed up, and he was getting his girlfriend, and she was getting a date, and I was going to meet him at the party. But I became, I didn't know there were Satan worshipers at this party, let alone heroin smugglers from Arizona to Southern California. And I saw the guy in charge loading the gun. I didn't think anything of it. When the gun went off, in my mind's eye, with that drug, I saw my brain splattered on the wall, and this whole side of my face missing. I walked out of that room that night, a goner. It took doctors almost two years, 17 to 18 months, to get me to believe I was alive. I'd be shaving in the morning, I'd disappear. I'd be out surfing, you'd be next to me, getting ready to get on your board, you'd disappear. I'd gone totally insane. I couldn't talk very well. If you were talking to me, you wouldn't know what I was saying. There's no way humanly possible that I could be standing here tonight encouraging you. My wife left me, thank God for that. For her sake, we had two children at the time. Her father was very wealthy. Uh, they were very wealthy. I was a beach bum. Fell in love with her. We got married after three weeks. Totally two opposite people. She's very intelligent. She was singing opera. She was she just beautiful. And I come along and meet her at her own birthday party that I 
crashed and didn't know anybody in there. I just saw a party going on at the beach, and I'll just go and get some free beer. And uh, I found out who she was, and the next week was her birthday party. I heard people saying, those days you'd call a florist, and you could order flowers and charge them to your telephone number. So I called up and ordered Sandy a dozen long-stem red roses and had them deliver to her with a happy birthday. She has no idea who I am, and I charged it to her phone number. She paid for it. So then I went to the drugstore and I got a bottle of white shoe polish and I walked down uh, the sidewalk at the canal in Newport Beach. Happy birthday, Sandy, for about a block and then up the fence and on the side of the wall upstairs to their condominium where they were renting four girls. Little did I know that three weeks later we were married and, and we were together for three years. And then I lost her. So we were divorced for three years. And when I first met Chuck Smith, I'd just been born again about a month. And I went to a men's prayer meeting and I walked up to him and I said, Pastor Chuck, I'm Mike McIntosh. And um, I thought I got shot in the head a couple years ago. And he said, well, I don't understand that, but this is the hippie crazy movement going on. I've heard a lot of strange things. I said, I know I'm saved. I accepted him about three weeks ago. And I lost my family, lost my sanity. Um, the doctor said I had neurological and psychological head damage. And I, I just don't like this. Could Jesus help me? He said, sit down. So he and the elders of the church anointed me in my forehead with oil. I'd hear the gun go up for over two years, going off every night, running into the street from my house, screaming at the top of my lungs. I had personally had no thought that I could ever be a normal person again, that I'd ever think correctly. Many people question if I really am, but I understand that. So uh, they prayed for me. I'm sitting in the chair. And as Pastor Chuck was praying, this really small voice, soft, said, Michael. And only two people call me Michael, my mother and Sandy. And that's usually when I'm in trouble. So to hear Michael, it was the Lord talking. I didn't know the Lord could talk to you. Yes. I have not given you the spirit of fear. I'm so paranoid. But love. I was always looking for love. Power. I was so hopeless and helpless. And then that third part, 2 Timothy 1.7, was a Bible verse that I found out later. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And at the word sound mind, in my mind's eye, I saw electrical charge like lightning go from the left side to my right side. And all of a sudden, I opened up my eyes and I came back from two years of being dead. Whoa, I just knew, I knew. I fell on my face and I wept like a baby. I said, whatever you ever want, I'm your servant the rest of my life. So I've had a lot of fun with the Lord around the world. He brought Sandy back. She saw that I was changed. She accepted the Lord. We got remarried. We have six children, 20 grandchildren, six great-grandchildren, miscellaneous dogs and horses and cats and chickens, but they don't count. There isn't anything God cannot or will not do for you. If you've gone off to a foreign country 
and you've lost everything. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. Give God a chance. Don't give him the fist. He's so loving, so kind. So in closing here, uh, they get back to town. She kisses them and they went away. And Naomi said, turn back. And then verse 14, they lift up their voices. They wept again. And Orpah, uh, no, Orpah, uh, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth cleaved to her. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to the people her, and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, now this is where we get our marriage vows, actually, pretty much, Western civilization. I beg you, I entreat me not to leave you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or to turn back from my uh, following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Where you live, I live. Your people shall be my people. And in modern parlance would be, your peeps are my peeps, basically. And uh, they'll be my people. And you, your God, will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And till death do us part. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts you and me. Those are pretty powerful words. In closing, it says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, it's good to have determination and not be a waffle. She stopped speaking to her. I can't change her mind. Now the two of them went until they came back to the house of bread, to Bethlehem. That was a long walk. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem. Now notice this, encircle just this one word. That all, circle the word all in the person's Bible on your right-hand side. All the city was excited because of them. So why would all of a town come out to see Naomi? She had to be famous. Ten years, more than a decade has gone by. Her husband must have had a lot of influence or something. But they all came. She's coming back. Oh, we've missed her so much. And then it says right there, very interesting because women see things men don't see. And they said in that last part of the verse there that, is this Naomi? Whoa, 10 years. You know, when bitterness gets inside of us, medical people, you can read about it on easily on the internet and find these things. It causes lots of wrinkles. Cigarettes, marijuana smoke causes lots of wrinkles when you get older. But when your stomach is churning and you're mad and you're angry and you're upset and you're bitter, and I'm going to get even with him. I'll have another one of these to cover up why I don't know what I'm even covering up anymore. Yeah. The whole city comes out, but the women saw something nobody else saw. Is this Naomi? Listen to her own words for this. Bitterness had got her. And she said to them, do not Call me Naomi, call me Mara. You know, pleasantness, she changed her own name. She knew she was in trouble. Mara is a Hebrew word for bitterness. Don't call me a pleasant woman, call me a bitter woman. You don't want to be a bitter woman. You want to be a better woman. It's just the I is in the way, the self. She's so angry, she's so bitter. Don't call me. Instead of saying thank you all for coming, 
so gracious of you to be here at the border greeting me, and I don't have a shekel to my name or a cheeseburger or from In-N-Out or anything I can give you as thanks. But thank, no, instead, don't call me pleasantness. Call me bitterness. Yeah, I'm bitter. Oh, that's somebody you want to welcome back, I guess. And look in these last couple of verses. But she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with us. That is blasphemy. God does not deal with you when problems come in bitterness. The Bible says God is love. He's not the aroma, the essence of some Hindu, one of the 300 million gods of India. Love, oh yes, yes, yes. No, he is love. He's not bitterness. Galatians chapter five, verse 19 tells us that that's the flesh, bitterness. God's not flesh. He's a spirit and he must be worshiped in spirit and truth. You may have the wrong concept of God tonight. I don't know who you are, but you could. And you've accused God of your problems. But did you check with him before you left Bethlehem? Is this the way you want us to go? Or do you just go do stuff and then things fall apart and you do this? Or I quit going to church. We arrested a guy one night. I, we, we were with a Charlie Manson person, this female officer, a very good friend of mine, tough as nails. And the fog is out down at the beach, just spooky. It's one in the morning and we pull over. She said, this guy is evil. And if I catch him with a gun or a knife, I've arrested him many times he will probably shoot it out with us. I said, oh, that's thrilling. I'll just sit in here in the car and close to the radio for you. Go get him. She said, no, we got to do this together. I said, okay. She said, all I want you to do is walk right up to the passenger door and lean down and let the passenger know you're there. And then back up. And the bad guy driving, go no. Okay. So we do it. The bad guy gets out and I said, that's Charlie Manson. This guy's a murderer. This guy—he was. This man was the epitome of evil, and I saw what Beverly was talking about with him. He could, he could do some damage. All of a sudden, we got another call, a priority call. She said, "I'm going to come back and check. You put the keys on your left rear tire, and if this truck is missing, I'm coming to your house. I'm arresting you. You're going away, and your car is going to be, your truck's going to be impounded." Okay, okay. So they walked off. The call was. A neighborhood was upset. A man was beating his wife out on the front lawn. So we rolled down our windows, turned the uh, lights off. We had a, a number, and we are just wanting to make sure what was happening. So we're cruising, and you could hear four or five houses away. I mean, he wasn't just slapping her. This guy was breaking bones. So he's going to be pretty violent, and I thought it would be best if a woman approaches him instead of me. So I'm saying, <laughs> Bev, there they are there. And there's about 15 people. Not one person was helping this woman. It's so sad. So we get out of the car, running, and the man ran. And she turned to me, the senior officer, and said, go get him. I said, no, I'll help the woman until the ambulance gets here. Mike, go get him. All right. She stayed there. So if you can envision this, uh, two fourplexes, four apartments on the left, four on the right, and then the sidewalk down the middle. And it went right to the beach where he could be anywhere in the dark at that time of night. Just as I stopped, some people, I said, please close your door, lock it, close your windows. I'm looking. And he comes out of the very last 
apartment on the right. And he slammed the door. And this anger, this strength that this man had reverberated all four apartments right to the screen door I was standing next to. I went, oh, no. And he's coming. He's just an animal. And I just reached for my clock. And I thought, oh, Lord. And all of a sudden, she said, stop. Oh, bad. You finally made it. Great. I'm glad you're here. So we arrest him. Five or six other cars come. Uh, the boys are 14, maybe 15. Uh, heavy metal guys, obviously uh, meth and other things, bad complexions, foul mouth. Uh, they're swearing. They're spitting at the cops. They're cuffed and thrown down onto the couch. The mom's nose is broken. Her teeth are missing in the front. Blood everywhere on her. And Bev has the man. And he's standing against the wall with his back against the wall. And she's standing with her police boots up against his toes, staring him in the eyes. The sergeant walks up to me and says, everything okay? I said, yeah, pretty much so. You guys are doing a good job in there, but you need to arrest those teenagers. I love teenagers. I was one once. And the world was a much better place when I turned 20. I was for being a teenager. So um, why? I said, they've been spitting at cops. They've been foul language. There's no respect in them. This dad is a lousy dad. You can just tell he's out here killing his wife, and the kids are doing nothing to protect the mom. All right. Go in and tell them they're cuffed, both of them. They're already cuffed. Tell them to take them downtown. All right, great. And then all the officers come out. Bev's still standing there. And we hear, I would never hit a woman. And she says, well, what are we all doing here? I would never hit a woman. I'm a Christian man. The sergeant turns and looks up at me. Every one of those six or eight cops turns and looks at me. OK. So I said, excuse me, officer. I put my toes against his toes. They're about the same size, about 200 pounds at the time and six foot. I can take care of myself, especially with eight cops beside me. <laughs> so I'm looking him in the eye, and I said, excuse me, I heard you say you never hit a woman. I just spoke with your wife. I just looked at her, broken nose, teeth missing, blood everywhere. Your boys have just got arrested. They're going to jail. Really? Yes. Then I heard you say you're a Christian. Yes, I am. You would never hit a woman. How can you be a Christian and lie and be a Christian and lift a hand against a woman. What kind of a man are you? I'm a Christian man. Oh, he has no idea who I am, so I'm messing with his melon. And I said, oh, what church do you go to? I might want to go there. And he says, well, I don't go to church. I said, but you're a Christian. There's too many hypocrites in church. Oh, give me a break. You're not, though, are you, Mr. Perfect? Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we get the miss understanding that God is love and he loves us and all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord, they're called to his will and purpose. You don't see bitterness coming from God. That's our flesh. You see love. And you see somebody that has more in your life than you realize. And if you just relax, it's going to be a pretty cool outcome for you. Chapter 4 is a great chapter. So closing, Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the company of, country of Moab when it was time of the barley harvest. Barley harvest, you can underline that in a person's Bible sitting behind you. 
because barley was the one grain for the poor people. Interesting that God would bring them and they're totally poor. The little boy with five loaves and fishes, barley bread. He was a poor boy. I can imagine his mom saying, take your little tuna fish sandwiches. You've got to hear this carpenter up on the hill. That mom pointing away to her little boy. He comes up and says, well, Jesus, I only have this. He said, it's all I need. He fed thousands of people with that little boy's bread. Except we become like children. There's no way we'll enter into heaven. Otherwise, don't take ourselves so seriously. Be more childlike. Trust. Hope. Think good thoughts. Love thoughts. Love your neighbor. And God will truly bless your life. Shall we stand and shall we pray? Lord God, and gentlemen, if you'd come forward to serve communion, we want to bow our hearts before you with this bread and this juice, remembering the body of the Lord Jesus that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for each one of us. And Lord Jesus, you said, as often as you do this and partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. So while we're singing, Lord, and waiting to take of the bread and the cup, we'd like to let your Holy Spirit just give us remembrances of you, of how we prayed and you answered how we needed help and you helped. How we were sad and lonely, but yet you came and wrapped your arms around us. So Lord, as we take in remembrance of you, renew us and refresh us. And let us always be humble enough to know that we're poor. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we need you desperately. And we pray you'll forgive us of our sins this night. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father, amen.